With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The volume. Boxing with Chris Mannix is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel. More ways to win. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, the debuts of pro prospects are often pretty interesting, but uh, few get more interesting than this one. On Saturday, Nico Ali Walsh will officially turn pro as a middleweight on top ranks card from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Walsh is the grandson of the late Muhammad Ali. He'll be fighting for the same promoter, Bob Arum, who his father, or his grandfather, I should say, had many of his greatest moments with. And Nico joins me here on the show. Nico is, I mean, I guess first... What does this feel like to you? What does this moment feel like to you? I mean, it's a dream come true, to say the least. You know, we're t- talk to me about kind of your boxing journey here. I mean, you grew up in Chicago uh, originally. Um, and how, how did boxing kind of crystallize for you? Well, you know, I've been around boxing my whole life just through my grandfather. Um, but I really started my first time stepping in the ring was for a cancer foundation. It was the charity event and it was an exhibition. So it had no wins or losses. And before that point, I hadn't trained in the gym or anything. And I just went in, I had fun. I was doing it for a good cause. And uh, I just, I feel like that's when I started slowly loving boxing. So, I mean, was there any pressure on you growing up to get into the sport? No, I, you know, I didn't feel any pressure at all uh, growing up getting into the sport, but I did always feel the pressure of being, you know, the grandson of, you know, Muhammad Ali. I've always felt that pressure um, outside of sports in school, everywhere I was, I felt that pressure. Yeah, it's almost like, I mean, I remember watching what the Rocky Balboa movie, Rocky's son saying like, hey, man. You yeah, know, you, you know, know what? I saw that. I saw that movie and I, I was dying laughing because it sounded so similar to me. The movie Creed. Yeah. Did, I mean, so were people always asking you like, are, are you going to get into boxing? Are you going to do it? 
I don't remember anybody asking me, but I was always getting compared to him no matter mm. what. So, you know, if I, if I didn't pick boxing, if I picked up a tennis racket and I was a tennis player or, or a golfer, or even if I was something not sports related, I would still be getting compared to my grandfather because that's the way it's been my whole life. Muhammad Ali passed away in 2016. What was your relationship like with him? You're a young guy, 21 years old. Um, what was what are your memories of, of that relationship? We were very close. We were very, very close. Um, he lived in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we live in Las Vegas. So we were constantly making the drive, uh, the quick drive down to Arizona to see him, whether it be for Thanksgiving or, you know, just to go out and watch movies with him. But uh, yeah, no, we were very close. Um, I, I, when I was born, all my other grandfathers were, had passed away, unfortunately, already. So he was the only living grandfather that I had, which made us even more close. What was communication like with him? Because as many people know his story and how Parkinson's affected him late in his life, it, it affected his speech. Yeah, I mean, you know, some days, a lot of people don't know about Parkinson's disease, but, you know, some days are better than others, and it really is a flip of a coin. One day you can get him talking, and he could be vibrant and, and you know, talking, which seems to be like the way he used to. And then uh, others, other days, most days, uh, he doesn't talk as much. But that never took away from, you know, his sense of humor, his wit, and his smile. It, it never took away from that, and that's how we communicated. We communicated uh, – you know, through his actions. Tell me about how how that sense of humor was around you. Most people that know Muhammad Ali know all about the trash talk and the brashness and all that that came with it. How was he with you? Yeah, I mean, he he says he says some stuff that um, you know people aren't supposed to say. He gets away with saying <laughs> you know basically whatever he wants, but it's it's because everyone knows he's coming from a place of kindness and he's always joking so his sense of humor is, is was was great i mean you could see it in you know the videos the interviews he had that same sense of humor which i hadn't gotten to see because i wasn't alive during his mm. uh prime but he had that same sense of humor um in his in his older years did you ever watch old fights with him yeah we would constantly watch um all we would do is watch his fight highlights and then my sparring tapes. Mm -hmm. uh, but we watched um, the rumble in the jungle a million times over. Um, I would just pull up a chair next to him and we would watch it on my phone. But yeah, no, we've, I've seen, I've seen probably all of his fights with him. So it's like, you know, we, we spent so much time together and, you know, he was interested in watching those fights. It really, you know, put a spark in his eyes. So we always did that. Man, people would pay a lot of money back then to do that, to do exactly what you were doing every single, every single time yeah. I watched it. What was it like? I mean, watching the Rumble in the Jungle, which is, you know, of course, um, his iconic fight against George Foreman. I mean, what was that? What was that like to watch it with him? What kind of reactions were you getting from him as you were watching that? He would like start reliving it. You know, he'd be there with his mouth open. You know, kind of. Uh, flinching and fainting and, and, you know, punching like, and any boxer knows that like sometimes when they sleep, they'll start shadow boxing and they'll start moving while they're sleeping. And mm -hmm. that's, that's what he would do when he was watching it. He would start getting back in the zone. And, uh, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask him questions about boxing. 
I would really ask them questions about like, Hey, what did they say in your corner? Or, you know, what did you say to this guy after the fight? I would ask him questions that weren't fighting related. Yeah, I'm always curious about the relationship he had with Angelo Dundee, you know, his yeah. longtime trainer. I mean, what what did you kind of learn about that? Well, I know he loved him, and uh, Angelo Dundee was has been a fan of the uh, – or he's been a friend of the family for, you know, so many years. Unfortunately, I never met him. Uh, but, yeah, up until his last years, you know, um, he was still extremely kind to my family. You ever see that uh the the Pizza Hut commercial with Angelo and and Muhammad? You've seen that, I'm sure, right? That that old Super Bowl commercial. I need commercial. to be reminded of it. I need to be it's reminded of it. It's the old Super Bowl commercial sure where like, yeah, it's like Angelo, he's training a young fighter and the kid's giving him mouth and he takes him to Pizza Hut. I said, "I want to introduce you to somebody." And there's yes, Muhammad yes, sitting at the table yes. right there. That's a great commercial. I, have like, seen I watched that. on I watched it on YouTube all the time. I, I didn't know that was Pizza Hut. Wow. Yeah, it was it was Pizza of all see, exactly, of all Jeez. things. Wow. <laughs> It was Pizza Hut. Good, awesome. Bravo Pizza Hut for paying the money you need to get those two guys yeah, uh, on camera uh, to do that. Did you get the sense from, from all the fights you watched with him? Was th- that rumble in the jungle the one that got him most, you know, kind of up? Um, I would say that in, in his fights with Joe Frazier, he loved Joe Frazier. I mean uh, – you know, I can't speak for his early, early years, but I know from what I've seen in his later years, he loved, loved, loved Joe Frazier. And they were like, you know, best friends um, in their in their older age, which is awesome. So anytime Joe Frazier would show up, his eyes would light up too. Did you talk to him? I mean, I'm sure you did, but like what were your conversations like about your boxing career with him and, and what you should do as far as getting into the sport? You know, I would just ask him um, for tips here and there. And he would just tell me to like eat right and stuff. And, uh, you know, simple stuff, but stuff that makes the difference. He, you know, he was huge on road work. And he always said, you got to do road work. You got to do road work. Uh, so I really always kept that in the back of my head. And, and that's what I do now. So I do follow everything that he told me to do um, still to this day. Was he in favor of you getting into boxing? Because as much as boxing gave him, obviously sticking around a little bit too long kind of took took it away from him as well. How did he feel about you getting into boxing? I was hoping he wouldn't want me to get into boxing um, because at, at one point I was um, not, not ready to, you know, venture out down this long, long road that everyone kept telling me the pressures are scary, you know. So I wanted him to tell me don't box, but every time I tried to coerce him to do that, he wouldn't. He would keep telling me to box. So um, I, I knew that I had to stick to boxing. Why do you think he wanted that for you? You know, I wish I got a chance to ask him why. I never, I never asked him why um, when, when he would tell me keep boxing. I, I wish I could have. I, I don't know why. Um, Maybe it has something to do with uh, the legacy. Um, I, I have no idea. I know because he didn't want Layla to box. Uh, but, of course, that's his daughter, you know. Mm. So, I, I don't know. I don't know why he wanted me to box, though. Did you, Your brother was into boxing for a little while, right? No, he, he was a football player. Okay, but uh, I thought I read somewhere that he dabbled in it or, or thought about it at the very least. I mean, were you, were you the only one in the family that, that got into it? 
Yeah. I mean, my whole family has been, has had boxing gloves on at some point just because of, you know, us being around my grandfather and everything's boxing related in my family. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm the only one in the family that's taken it, uh, to a level of competition, whether it be at an amateur level or even going into a gym to seek a trainer. When you're at these amateur tournaments and people realize who you are, I mean, what kind of reactions are you getting? Are you, do you feel like you're getting people in the ring that as much as they want to win for themselves, they want to beat Muhammad Ali's grandson? Yeah, no, um, you know, some people would think that it would be an intimidating factor, you know, saying I'm going up against Muhammad Ali's grandson. It's not because, you know, they have um, everything to gain um, from being able to say, I knocked out Muhammad Ali's grandson. So I always got everyone's A game in the amateurs. And it was very, very annoying, uh, constantly being announced and recognized as just, you know, Muhammad Ali's grandson. And I should have picked a different sport if I didn't want that to happen. But, you know, I feel like it would have happened regardless. I mean, it's tough. Like, I've written and, and studied the, you know, the sons of Michael Jordan. You know, like, it's just – it's tough to kind of carry that weight around where everyone's probably expecting you to show flashes of what your grandfather showed. Like, they're expecting yeah. you to shuffle in the ring or to say something bra, yeah. uh, ostentatious on the mic. Like, they're they're probably looking for that from you. Yeah. No, my first time ever stepping in, in the ring – for the uh, it was for St. Baldrick's, um, which is a, a children's cancer foundation, and it was a charity event, it was an exhibition. But while I was in the ring, the last round, someone in the crowd, I think it was my uncle or my dad, said, Do do the Ollie shuffle. And I was 10 years old and I did the shuffle and my shoes fell off. So <laughs> I, I mean that that's an example of you know how people they want to make me into, you know, uh, my grandfather. Well, what do you do, Nico? I mean, do you pattern your your boxing style? At, I mean, it, there, are, there are worse people to pattern your boxing after. I mean, that we're talking about uh, the greatest of all time. I mean, how, how do you approach your, your own style? Do you have, did you, how much have you taken from your grandfather and tried to incorporate it into yourself? Well, you know, if it was my choice, I would say I, I would love to – emulate his styles the same way he did because he had so much success with it, but nobody uh, can emulate his style uh, to the T, you know, it, it was his style and I can't do that. So I'm not trying to do that, but what I am trying to emulate from his boxing is, you know, his footwork. Uh, he had excellent footwork. I won't even be able to emulate that um, to a T, but I'll be able to, you know, take some parts and, you know, uh, put in some of my own uh, flares, and uh, that's that's what I'm looking forward to is uh, emulating his footwork more than anything. So you're in the amateur ranks for the last few years. When does it start to when does it start to come to you? Then say you start to think I want to turn pro. You know, it it all happened so fast. I I knew that one day I would be turning pro uh, because when I got into boxing, I said I have to go in 100 percent or don't get in at all. Um, but I went up to Big Bear uh, with Abel Sanchez and I was training up there for a few months. And that was really when it, it got serious. And I said, okay, well, I, I talked with my team and then, uh, then I turned pro and then signed with top rank and all this great stuff happened all at once, really. 
What what is your amateur background like? I don't even know. I I have somewhere around thirty amateur fights, um, but I lost count because my first amateur fight I lost. That I remember. My first ever um, official amateur fight I lost, and it was in Arizona. So right afterwards, I went straight to my grandfather's house, and he was talking to me about how losses do not matter in the amateurs. And I had a black eye and like a, a big nose and we just spoke on that. But that conversation made me realize that it's the quality, not the quantity of the fights. So I, I remember the great performances. I remember the losses um, and I learned from them, but it's, it's hard to count how many I've had because I've had so many exhibitions and charity events before I even got into the amateurs. I think your grandfather's proof that losses don't necessarily matter in the pros either. It's all about right. the quality of the fighters that you go up against five losses. Definitely. You know, when you're arguing about who the greatest of all time is, whether it's Muhammad Ali or Sugar Ray Robinson, I mean, that's five losses for Ali 19 for Sugar Ray Robinson. I mean, it really is about the quality of the competition. I'm curious. I mean, I've been yeah. to that, that big bear gym where Abel Sanchez uh, trains out of tough environment to train in. What was it about that experience that made you believe that uh, the pros was where you should go? The fact that I was able to endure that experience was enough uh, for me to say I'm, I'm ready for the pros. So that was a, a milestone. That was, an, that was an achievement in itself, being able to survive really Big Bear. And, yeah, I was, I was ready for it once I left there. So it's understandable why Bob Arum would want to sign you. Uh, Bob loves a good story. Like, he can sell a narrative as well as any promoter in the business. But for you, why did it make sense to link up with Top Rank? Well, I've always looked up to Top Rank. I truly do think Top Rank's the greatest promotion in boxing. I think it's the biggest. It has the best fighters, um, whether it's Tyson Fury, Teofimo Lopez, or Naoya Inoue. You know, they've got amazing fighters. But the biggest thing is that, you know, his first promoted fight was my grandfather. And I love continuing tradition. So it's a perfectly written story. Did your grandfather share any stories with you about Bob Arum? Because he's got a million. I mean, he, he, Bob is just a, you know, a wealth of them. Yeah, I, I don't I don't remember any. But Bob Arum is starting to share stories with me about my grandfather now. <laughs> so I'm starting to hear some funny stories uh, from Arum. What's the favorite one that he's told you about your grandfather? They've traveled so much together. Um, and I didn't know that they were that, obviously I knew they were close, but I didn't know they were that close. They traveled to the UK together. You know, they were always taken, they were on the same plane and my grandfather was afraid of flying. So he's got some really funny stories. <laughs> I didn't know he was afraid of flying. That's, yeah. that's probably, probably not a good thing if you're a world champion traveling all over the, uh, right, right. all over the planet there. Um, how are you feeling going into this pro debut? Are there nerves? I mean, there it's going to be televised on ESPN. Uh, a lot of people, of course, are getting to know you because of your your name. How are you feeling going into this? Right now, I'm not feeling the nerves. Um, you know, I'm sure every fighter has nerves the night of the fight, but those nerves are fuel to the flame, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. If I didn't have any nerves the night of the fight, I would seriously be worried. Mm. Um but yeah, no, the preparation I've had for this fight makes it so that I'm, I'm fully confident right now. I don't have any nerves right now, any doubts. Um, so I'm, I'm in a great position right now. So you say you wanted to try to take some of the footwork from your grandfather, but how would you describe 
your style as a fighter? Well, I'm with Sugar Hill Stewart now, um, Tyson Fury's trainer, and mm-hmm. he's he's amazing in what he teaches. Uh, and his uh, his style is very aggressive. You know, you're constantly putting on pressure and you're constantly looking great while doing it. So I would say that that's the style that I'm trying to adapt now. Yeah, the nephew of Emmanuel Stewart, one of the all-time great uh, trainers as well. So a lot of a lot of good DNA in that uh, in that gym for you. I mean, as you go into this fight, I mean, are, what what is Bob or in top rank and and their matchmakers are terrific there as well. But what have they told you? about kind of the path they want to put you on over the next year to eighteen months. You know, I don't know. I, I'm I'm looking. My biggest thing is that I'm looking to be the greatest boxer that I can be. Um, and I'm taking one fight at a time. So I don't know where I'm going to be in five months or five years. I let my, my manager and, you know, uh, all these people that know what they're doing handle that. And I'm just here to learn from sugar and, uh, and train and, and be the best I can be. Is this something you feel committed to being in for the long term? Yes, definitely. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be in boxing, you know, for very long just because of the health um scares with it um but this is my passion this is what i love to do and i'm i'm definitely here uh probably for a good time maybe not a long time yeah you got the i got the catchphrases already starting to <laughs> come down with right right away there Diego. last question for you um what would what would a title mean to you i mean you're a long way off from that you've still got to develop two three four years whatever it may be but to win a world championship, be it at middleweight, super middleweight, whatever weight class you wind up fighting that um, with your lineage, what would that mean to you? I mean, I have no idea. That, w- that would be pretty amazing. You know, if that's something that ha- happens to take place in the future, it would be a very um, it w- incredible achievement. So if that does happen, that, that would be really amazing. That would be something. If, if your grandfather was still alive, where do you, how would he do you think he would watch your fight uh he'd watch it from uh the ringside <laughs> he'd make it up he'd make the trip to tulsa to watch ringside absolutely yes <laughs> would it be more or less pressure to fight with your grandfather in the audience um i don't think it would be more or less pressure uh there's like a max on the amount of pressure you can have and uh I feel like I'm there, so I'm good. I'm not feeling any pressure from the audience or from ESPN or anything. I'm feeling pressure on myself to perform, to make myself proud, and to make my family proud. So that's the only pressure that I'm feeling. Uh, It should be fun to watch uh, your journey, Nico. Uh, Good luck to you, man. Saturday night, Tulsa, Oklahoma, broadcast on ESPN. Right onto the big stage right away, man. So good luck to you on Saturday night. Thank you. Thank you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.